Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art, where we bring you a new story about your world in every episode. On today's show, we talk to archivist Marley Pulido. After researching his family history in Cuba, Marley got inspired to share all these forgotten black Cuban stories left out of history books. He has taken on a self-funded mission to build a community archive that includes video, audio, and images that will preserve the black Cuban historical memory of the island and the diaspora. Thank you for following the Jesse Garcia Show, now on Threads, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. It is often said that history is written by the victors. The dominant society, social class, or race gets to decide who is included in the history books, whose birthdays become national holidays, and whose images show up on money, monuments, and museum paintings. But thanks to the great modern equalizer, the internet, digital storytellers are reclaiming lost histories and sharing them with the world. One of those storytellers is Marley Pulido, a Cuban-born historian, community organizer, and archivist. Marley graduated from the School of History at the University of Havana. His community organizing work is centered on building and occupying online spaces so that migrants, refugees, and black working people can organize, share their stories authentically, and participate in building their future. In 2019, Marley founded Historia Negra de Cuba, a multilingual digital archive and multimedia creative hub that is curating items to preserve and honor the Black Cuban historical memory of the island and the diaspora. He also co-founded the organization Cubanos Valante to mobilize and educate progressive Cuban Americans. I'm very honored to have him on the podcast today so he can share his gift with you and so we can talk about his work in getting out the vote for the next election. I want to welcome to the show community activist and archivist Marley Pulido. Thank you for coming on the show, Marley. Thank you. Thank you. Tell us how you decided to get involved with history and storytelling about your culture. Um, So I was born on the island. I was born in Cuba. And growing up, I was fascinated by the way my grandparents would tell stories. There was just something about the tempo and the cadence of their words that was so beautiful and so musical to me. Uh, but neither of my grandparents went to college. They were just big nerds. And they would they loved to tell stories. Uh, and at the same time, I grew up surrounded by books. One of my grandparents, he, he worked at a publishing house and he would always bring me books as a kid. As a seven-year-old, I was surrounded by like all these books that my grandpa would bring me and I would devour them. And at my other grandparents' house, there was a big bookshelf with a lot of really old books that my grandparents have been collecting since the 1950s. But one of my grandmas made sure that I would read about Black Cuban traditional religions as a kid so that I would never vilify or call Black magic the spirituality that my ancestors brought to the island with them when they were enslaved. Uh, All of that to say that by the time I became a history major in college, I was already in love with history and storytelling. That is amazing. I love how you stated how 
you wouldn't vilify. Was that something that was just something that was rampant on the island? I think that's something that's present everywhere that uh especially and I wanna I'm gonna I wanna focus on the Caribbean specifically. Mm -hmm. Uh it's it's present everywhere just because of you know the dynamics of white supremacy that uh some religions are you know uh more respected than others. And my grandparents made sure that I would like honor uh the the traditions that my ancestors brought with them. Yeah. So what led you to start the Black Cuban Digital Archive? Yeah, question. Uh, about four or five years ago, my grandpa got sick and fearing that we would lose the family, the family storyteller, I went down to the island and sat him down, sat him and my grandma down for an interview. At first, I just wanted the story of that of, of how they had met. But I also wanted the family gossip. I was ready to start asking the tough questions about family dynamics. I wanted to know it all. But this conversation quickly turned into something very emotional. Uh, they were both recalling having gone through very tough times as kids. Uh, my grandpa was tearing up at one point because he was remembering that time he was evicted as a teenager with his family. Uh, and in this conversation about family dynamics, my grandma casually mentioned her grandmother, who was the daughter of someone who had been enslaved. And I was shocked. I was like, how is this the first time that I'm hearing about this? Yes. And this conversation was eye-opening, to say the least. And I realized that my grandparents, they were they both wanted to be heard. They both wanted their stories to be told. So I started working on what at the beginning was uh, this type of like oral history project. I was interviewing my grandparents. I, tr I tried to interview a couple of black elders in my neighborhood. Uh, but in doing all this research, I thought that official history, the history that we learn in schools, the histories that we memorize, that we repeat over and over, and uh, and the history that we, that tends to legitimize the political status quo yes. also deserves to be asked the tough questions on the nation's dynamics. So, you know, like if Afro-Cuban cultures have been so impactful in what we know as Cuba's national identity, where's the black people in our history, and why do we only know two or three names? Um, and that's how Historia Negra de Cuba, my the digital archive that I run, came to be. Uh, and I tried to bridge the community archive with the multimedia creative space uh, to also invite all the creators and invite all the historians and just anybody, really, any Black Cuban who wants to help out in collecting and curating documents, videos, audios, images to preserve the Black Cuban historical memory of the island and the diaspora. That's amazing. Now, do you receive any support from Cuban academia or nonprofits in your project? Archiving, archiving is a labor of love. So that's coming no, out of your own wallet. <laughs> yeah, I do not receive any financial support from any academic institution or nonprofits or foundations yet. Uh, it's sort of like, was. Are you looking for a grant writer? 
I might be looking for a grant writer. I might be looking. Uh, so far, Historia Nera has been totally self-funded. Uh, I'm currently curating two collections and I have covered all the expenses from acquiring photos and magazines to research trips. Um, but but yes, I'm I'm looking into uh, applying for grants because this it's it's a labor of love and there's so much work that that's put into this. But there's all the institutions that have definitely supported my work greatly in other ways. One of them being the University of Miami, uh, the Cuban Heritage Collection. Uh, I got to visit their archives earlier this year, and Amanda Moreno, their archivist showed me the behind the scenes of archiving the Cuban diaspora and archiving uh, also like Cuban history from the island. And they have one of the largest collections in the world on, on Cuban history. Uh, Archivo Cubano Queer is another institution that has supported my journey. It's run by Librada, Fernandez Gonzalez, and she runs this collection dedicated to preserving the history of queer and trans Cubans. And also Black Miami Date is another story, a storytelling platform that has supported my work. And I have so much respect for them, uh, especially for Nadej, who is the, the curator and founder. Now that you're gathering all this history and seeing some of the highlights of the culture, growing up, did you have any Afro-Latino authors or artists that you look, looked up to? And are you seeing, learning more about them now that you're doing this project? I am definitely learning more about them and I'm finding a lot more people and I'm just like fascinated by some of the people that I'm finding that I didn't know about, like even as a history major, I didn't learn about them in, in college and I'm just fascinated. But as much as I grew up a nerd, I also wanted to be a musician. Uh, my dream was to be a pianist and my grandpa was a musician when he was young. And at home, we were always jamming and listening to music and humming and singing. Uh, so I always looked up to Ignacio Villa, Bola de Nieve, uh, maybe because he was queer, but definitely because of the undeniable love that man had for that piano and the drama in his voice and his performances. He was a one-man show. Um, but there's also this book that I have a lot of love for, um, the book's name is Reyita. Uh, it was written by Daisy Rubiera Castillo. And I was actually thinking about this the other day that this book should be a required reading in schools on the island uh, because it tells so much about uh, Black Cuban history or the history of Black Cubans uh, in like a very important historical period. Uh, Reyita is a collection of essays and interviews to Reyita, a Black Cuban woman born in 1902, uh, and she retells the stories of navigating gender, uh, Cuba's political chaos throughout the 19th, the 20th century, because she was born in 1902, uh, and most definitely navigating blackness as a descendant of people who have been enslaved on the island. Uh, and for context, enslavement had just been abolished only 16 years before Reyita was born, uh, so 1886. And it's it's an amazing collection of essays that I just have a lot of love for. Now that you're coming up on the world and you're making your collections known, 
What message do you have for U.S. Latino corporate and civil rights groups regarding the Afro-Latino experience in the United States? This is a tough question. Uh, so I'm going to be brave and say that Celia Cruz is undeniably a queen. She is of inspiration to Black people and people of Latin American descent everywhere. Uh, but there is so much more to Afro-Latino history than Celia Cruz. So my message and my advice to people is always to avoid simplifying our history to entertainment. Avoid simplifying Afro-Latino history to entertainment. Um, and one of my favorite, favorite, favorite stories to honor uh, that is not necessarily around Black people as entertainers is the story of Francisco Rodriguez. He was born in 1916. And he was the son, uh, he came from a family of cigar factory workers in Tampa. And he was a black human. His family had migrated to Tampa, uh, I think earlier, uh, yeah, early in the 19th, in the 20th century. And the black Cubans in Tampa, they have a very particular migration, migration journey. Uh, Many of them migrated to Tampa late 1800s, early 1900s, and had to face, you know, uh, discrimination and Jim Crow laws <clears throat> in Florida. And were also, you know, fleeing an island that those who migrated to Tampa in the late 1800s were also fleeing an island that had just abolished enslavement in 1886. So Francisco Rodriguez was a lawyer for the NAACP, and he's one of the uh, one of the people who led the desegregation of schools in Florida in 1957. Uh, so this happened before the, fir the first big wave of Cuban refugees in 1960, but also in the midst of the uh, civil rights movement in the U.S. And this, uh, this is a Black Cuban who was already you know, leading this work. Um, and this is one of the most inspiring stories to me. And, but also, I think I, it adds a layer of complexity to what we know as the Cuban journey in the U.S. It's not just entertainers or baseball players. It's yeah. something more that there's a lot of important people that are part of the American fabric of made, what made us today. And we need to spotlight those individuals. Yeah. And I hope that we end up with some of those individuals in the Latino Smithsonian that's going to be open in 10 years. And I yeah. hope... I hope and pray that you're a part of it, that they I, that you have a seat at the table. <laughs> I hope so. I like. I are love you interested? Institution. I I will be most interested. I love. Uh, I am a fan of museums. I go to Smithsonian's like all the time, and when I go, like I go to the uh, Museum of African American History and Culture, and uh -huh. they, they they mention some things, and sometimes they. They don't tell the, the full story, especially on Francisco Rodriguez. They do mention the desegregation of schools in Florida. They just don't mention that it was a black Cuban leading the work. Um, so yeah, I, I we need not only representation just for the sake of representation, but because these people also need to be honored and celebrated. Hopefully you'll be there to fill in the gaps. I am we'll there just, to support you. Just hit me up. <laughs> Next. You have a lot on your plate. You also dedicate yourself to turning out the Cuban-American vote. So when you're not busy advocating for Black 
Cuban history, you're also trying to get the black Cuban vote out. Yeah. Are the, and, what's going on in, in for in the community to uh how are you engaging for 2024? Yeah, not just just the Cuban vote in general and it is it is challenging. In mm -hmm. 2021, I co-founded Cubanos Palante. Uh, this is a community of progressive Cuban Americans uh, looking to educate, organize, and mobilize our people around progressive issues. Most of us came from Cubanos con Biden, a constituency group from the 2020 from the 2020 presidential election. And after the election, we thought it was time for us to invest in organizing our people, in organizing Cubans. Uh, we did like amazing work uh, during the presidential. So, and there was a lot of momentum. Um, so we decided that it was time for us to hold elected officials accountable to their campaign promises. And we found that Cubano Palante to do exactly this. And also to educate ourselves and educate our community um, because Cubans more often than not are, you know, isolated um, because so many, you know, misconceptions, so many, um, missed on on who, who who Cubans, especially Miami Cubans. What are some are and how those, we vote? And, yeah, what are some of those misconceptions? Now that you're part of them, I think the biggest the biggest misconception is that we are a monolith, and we are we're not just like any other community out there. We're not a monolith, uh, and there's just very little nuance in politics when the topic of the Cuban-American vote comes up. I remember watching CNN and MSNBC uh, during the 2020 presidential, and everybody was just repeating the same talking points that Cubans are going to vote this way, Cubans are going to vote this way. Uh, but the problem is that because there's, so there's such little nuance, uh, we are just neglected by some, we're taken for granted by others, and no one knows how to talk to us. Uh, so we're just left trying to figure out how to vote uh, and who to believe, really. Uh, and that's why I think organizing through Cubanos Palante is so important because we know how to talk to our people. We know the issues that we care about. We know our political traumas. We know that some uh, politicians, they do exploit our political traumas. Uh, so this is another advice. Hire Cubans if you're trying to get out of the Cuban vote uh, because we know how to talk to our people. Just Just hire us. Uh, and actually, a couple months ago, in September, we hosted our very first town hall. Uh, this was a Cubanos Palante town hall. We just wanted to figure out uh, the issues that our people care about. Um, because sometimes we just live in this, you know, political bubble that we're just political bubble, but also an echo chamber where we're just repeating the same talking points. So we wanted to hear what our folks cared about. And... Some of the issues that came up were housing affordability, education, healthcare, gun violence, racial justice, immigration, uh, LGBTQ issues, climate justice. And some of these issues don't necessarily, are not necessarily partisan when it comes to Cubans, because Cubans are suffering, you know, like are facing uh, a climate catastrophe in Miami. And this affects everybody beyond uh, yes. party politics. Uh, Cubans in Miami are also facing a wild crisis of housing affordability, and this goes beyond party lines. Uh, everybody wants, you know, their kids to have good education, and 
also Miami, uh, especially Hialeah, where like I think it's like ninety something percent Cuban, uh, has one of the highest numbers of people uh, on the Affordable Care Act of people receiving Obamacare. So all of these issues they go beyond party lines. So we just need to, you know, learn how to talk to Cubans if we want to get out the Cuban vote because Cubans also bring their political traumas. Uh, that it's just very valid. Now that you put the invitation out there for people to start engaging you and hiring you to talk to the community, where can listeners learn more about, one, the digital archive that you curated, and also how to contact you for the political action? Yes. Uh, Yeah. Um, So for my archive, you can follow me at Historia Negra de Cuba on Instagram. Or also subscribe to the newsletter, historianegra.com slash subscribe. Uh, the newsletter is a new, uh, it's a way to engage with people. And so I can geek out about Cuban history and share the ins and outs of, of archiving my people's history. Uh, and you can also follow my mine and with the rest of my team, our uh, work organizing and mobilizing uh, Cubans, uh, Cubanos Palante on Instagram, and also just check out our website, cubanospalante.com. I want to thank you, Marley, for all the work that you do in the community. I am so inspired by the work that you do. Like many of us that are trying to put good information out there, sometimes it comes out of our own pocket. And I just admire the fact that you didn't let the lack of resources stop you from meeting that mission and to sharing that journey that your grandparents went through so others can learn about the actual history of what went down during the colonized version of it. So Yes, of course. Hats off to you for doing that and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse.